This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Who's responsible when a student dies after being hazed at college? That's what 60 Minutes tried to find out after a freshman died from alcohol poisoning at a fraternity house at Washington State University. Had he said, no, I don't want to drink, I'm confident that he would not have had to have drink. He'd already had date night. Actually, it's called blackout date night, I believe. These are the Varunga volcanoes, home to most of the world's mountain gorillas. Diane Fossey aptly called them gorillas in the mist. But when the mist lifts, they are gorillas in the sun, doing what mountain gorillas do. Eat, rest, eat some more, and snuggle. When you look in the eyes of a gorilla, you see a kindred spirit looking back at you. Ready if you are? Yes. You want me to slate myself? Yes, please. Right. Rita Moreno with one of the world's handsomest uh, men of color <laughs> ever. Okay, interview over. <laughs> We're done. <laughs> I can't do any better than that. Okay, I just want to ask you about the obvious. All of your honors and awards. Ain't it grand? I like to be in America. Ladies and gentlemen, Rita Moreno. This is marvelous. I'm Leslie Stahl. I'm Bill Whitaker. I'm Anderson Cooper. I'm Sharon Alfonsi. I'm John Wertheim. I'm Scott Pelley. Those stories and more tonight on 60 Minutes. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. 
It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We've all heard the story. A healthy young man is hospitalized or dies after being hazed pledging a college fraternity. Despite years of education campaigns and attempts to stop underage drinking, the hazing continues. Some victims' parents are working with leaders of national fraternities, pushing for tougher laws against hazing, while other parents charge the national fraternities that oversee the local chapters are themselves part of the problem. When a freshman named Sam Martinez died pledging Alpha Tau Omega at Washington State University in 2019, his parents said the national fraternity hid the local chapter's history of hazing and hindered the investigation into their son's death. If we had known even a fraction of what we know now, Sam never would have wanted to join that fraternity. We feel duped. By whom? By Alpha Tau Omega, the national fraternity, the chapter on that campus, and by Washington State University. Jolene Houts and Hector Martinez said they knew their son Sam had been pledging Alpha Tau Omega for more than two months, but were unaware that according to the police report, some witnesses said he'd already endured being hit, tackled, and asked to consume large quantities of alcohol by ATO members. They last spoke with Sam around 5 p.m. on November 11, 2019. We told him that we loved him, and he said, I love you too. And that was the last time that we got to talk to him. I remember we, we say, take care of yourself. And he say, don't worry, I got it. Around 9 p.m., Sam was summoned by fraternity members to Big Little Night, when each pledge learned who their big brother was, and according to police, got introduced to the so-called family drink. ATO rules forbid hazing and alcohol at the fraternity house, but Sam recorded this video shortly after he and another pledge were given nearly half a gallon of rum by their big brother, the equivalent of about 40 shots. And basically told, go ahead and start drinking. Two people drinking almost half a gallon of rum. Correct. Gary Jenkins is chief of police in Pullman, Washington, where Washington State University is located. He oversaw the investigation into Sam Martinez's death. It was about a half an hour later um, that uh, witnesses were telling us there was only about two and a half inches left in that half-gallon bottle. It wasn't the first violation of ATO's dry policy that semester. Sam shot this video in the fraternity basement in August. One young man is leaning over a garbage can. Two others appear passed out. This one is propped up with a backpack. They would put a backpack on someone so they wouldn't be able to stay on their back and potentially um, inhale their own vomit while they were unconscious. According to the police report, when Sam passed out, he too was left on a sofa in the basement. He died of acute alcohol poisoning hours later. It was 
strictly from too much alcohol in the system that shut down his, um, his organs. I assume it would have made a difference if when he had first passed out, somebody had called 911. Absolutely. Or taken him to a, an emergency room. Sure, I mean, he was, he was alive till around four or 4.30 in the morning. Any time before then, uh, more than likely, his life would have been saved. A fraternity member did finally call 911 at 8.30 a.m. Police and EMTs found Sam's body on the basement floor. His blood alcohol level was nearly five times the legal limit. Later, according to police, the fraternity's student president told them he got advice from ATO's national headquarters that Chief Jenkins said hampered the investigation. The student president of the fraternity told us that they got word from National to instruct all of their members to delete all their social media. And so that tells me a lot about, uh, about the national organization, uh, whether they're really interested in the truth. Did they prevent justice? I think so. I think there was very likely information that would be very relevant to the investigation of Sam's death that would have been in social media that now we'll never know. Eight months after Sam's death, his parents filed suit against ATO, its members, and Washington State University. Doug Fearberg, their attorney, has litigated more than 40 hazing cases during the last two decades. This is an industry that's been involved in this sort of misconduct for decades. I don't think a lot of people think of fraternities as an industry. It's a network of organizations that are there trying to solicit membership from young people who are away from home, often for the first time, and it's clearly designed to make money like any other industry. What is the role of fraternity leadership? They have complete control, but also pair that with deniability because principle to them is this idea that when somebody dies, and that's gonna happen, or when somebody is sexually assaulted, and that's gonna happen, that they have some blockade between them and the victim in terms of liability. My uh, primary goal when uh, Sam uh, died was to find out what happened. Liability was the last thing on my mind. Wynn Smiley has been CEO of Alpha Tau Omega's national fraternity organization for 25 years and reports to a board of directors that has authority over its multi-million dollar budget. He said they set the rules for ATO's 137 local chapters nationwide, educate members aggressively on their policies banning hazing and underage drinking, and have the power to shut local chapters down. After Sam's death, Wynn Smiley flew to Washington State University the next day. We wanted to find out who broke ATO policy. They knowingly decided to provide alcohol to Sam, which uh, is a violation not only of our alcohol policy, uh, but also of our hazing policy. We understand you came with an insurance adjuster. Uh, I came with uh, Linda, who is a great investigator. She acts like a mother as it relates to them fe feeling comfortable with her. Is she an insurance adjuster? Uh, she is. Do you turn over the results of any interviews you've done with members to the police? Uh, it depends on the situation. In uh, Sam's death, did you? Uh, I, 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 don't, I don't recall, frankly. If you want to be transparent, you would turn over the results of those interviews to the police, no? We would have certainly provided that information had we had the police asked. Chief Jenkins told us his officers were unaware when Smiley and Alpha Tau Omega's insurance adjuster were conducting an investigation and received no information from ATO about what members told them. The president of the fraternity told the police that, and I'm quoting, 
Nationals ATO had told them to delete all their social media. Anytime a chapter uh, is uh, in a situation where it has knowingly violated ATO policy, and we know that there is going to be news coverage, um, uh, we advise chapters to take down their social media. We did not tell them to delete. We never tell anybody to delete anybody's social media. Did you tell members to save all their communications about what happened that night in order to give it to police? Uh, we told members to cooperate fully with the police. So if you have anything that you want to tell us... But according to Chief Jenkins, fraternity members were not particularly cooperative. We definitely found that uh, when interviewing fraternity members that they were less than forthcoming and, and we found a lot of conflicts between what they told us and what other people told us who knew what was happening. Sam's parents say it was only after his death they learned ATO had a troubled past at Washington State University. In 2013, WSU put the fraternity on probation for nine months because of alcohol-related hazing. Parents need to see the track record, the disciplinary history of these fraternities so that, you know, we can be informed. They could easily do that. I think so. In 2018, after another complaint of hazing, ATO's national office stepped in and removed nearly half the chapter's members, some 30 students though ATO never disclosed why. Did you make that information public anywhere? We uh, have that conversation with the members uh, in terms of why they're being uh, expelled, and they can certainly uh, share that with whomever they want. But you don't publish information on your website about what you find. Why not be upfront about what you actually found? We're moving forward with the men who are in the chapter, who we believe. You put a lot of very positive stuff about ATO on your website. Don't you also owe it to potential pledges and their parents to give them information when they're looking at your fraternity? If we thought that would help. Well, we why would don't you think that would help? Because I don't think that, um, I don't think undergraduates look at websites and I don't wait, think. Wait, wait a minute. You don't think undergraduates look at websites. You know that if you put all this information on your website, it might dissuade people from choosing to pledge your fraternity. That's, that's not why we wouldn't put it on. We're considering, we're looking at that. But we when Smiley told us he supports efforts to increase criminal penalties for hazing, but doesn't believe his national organization has a duty to supervise its local chapters. These are self-governing independent organizations right. you, you for a want reason. them to be you are making money from them you can shut them down you can go in and tell them that you're going to drug test you do have a supervisory function you just are not wanting to embrace it and if we thought that that would be effective we may consider that you don't want any adult supervision that's directly linked to you you don't feel that would be beneficial we're not convinced that that would necessarily be beneficial i don't think they could be more wrong i think having uh, an adult there to oversee what's going on and ensure that they are complying with their own handbook. Um, everything that was going on was in violation of what their handbook says. They set themselves up to ensure that if something goes wrong, that they can't be held accountable. And they'll point to the rogue fraternity members, or they'll point to the university, or they'll point at the young dead pledge and blame them. But it's never their fault. Did they try to blame Sam? Oh, yeah. Why was he drinking that night? It's, that's not what we do here. Wynn Smiley says Sam Martinez wasn't bullied or pressured into drinking the night he died. And when push comes to shove, uh, the pledges um, 
can stand up and say no. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Come I, I on. Don't want to put, I don't want to that's... put that on them. I don't want to put that on them because that's not fair. I'm just saying But, but that... come on, you know if a pledge says, this is ridiculous, I'm not going to drink hot sauce, I'm not going to do, you know, squats against the wall, and I'm not going to do 20 shots of rum, they wouldn't get into the fraternity. No, I'm telling you they would. This is the second biggest night in the entire pledge process that Sam has undertaken. He was provided the alcohol, should never have been provided the he alcohol. He wasn't provided the alcohol like somebody just goes and gets beer for some kids hanging outside a 7-Eleven. He was handed uh, nearly half a gallon of rum. You're saying if he had just said, you know what, no, that's ridiculous. They would have said, great, you can be a member of our fraternity. And that's great. That shows spunk on your part. You think that's what would have happened? Had he said, no, I don't want to drink, I'm confident that he would not have had to have drink. He'd already had date night. It's Actually, it's called blackout date night, I believe. What happens on blackout date night? So whoever organized that event uh, for the fraternity, again, did so outside of ATO policy, and people were, um, were connected with dates, or they brought a date. They were handcuffed to dates. Some were. Uh, and well, he was handcuffed to a woman and told to drink, I think it was a, a half bottle of vodka and should have never been put in that position. In July, Alpha Tau Omega settled the lawsuit brought by Sam Martinez's parents without admitting wrongdoing. Washington State University removed its recognition of the chapter, and then ATO revoked its charter. The chapter can seek reinstatement in 2026. Seven fraternity members have been sentenced to between one and 19 days in jail for serving alcohol to minors. Sam's parents are now working with state legislators to try to make hazing a felony. He was the beautiful, quirky, funny center of our world. And it felt like the earth just fell away the day that we learned the news. What do you want to see happen? I don't want to see any more young men die. Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. With close to a million species now threatened with extinction, it's not often you hear about a conservation success story. But the mountain gorillas of the East African nation of Rwanda are just that. When American naturalist Diane Fossey moved to Rwanda half a century ago to study mountain gorillas, their numbers were dwindling down to just 254 individuals. But today, they're up to over 600 with another 400 in neighboring Uganda, the only great ape whose numbers are actually on the rise. How they've done it? 
a joint effort by scientists and government to save gorillas and help the human communities around them with a key role played by tourists. These are the Varunga volcanoes, home to most of the world's mountain gorillas. Diane Fossey aptly called them gorillas in the mist. But when the mist lifts, they are gorillas in the sun, doing what mountain gorillas do, eat, rest, eat some more, and snuggle. When you look in the eyes of a gorilla, you see a kindred spirit looking back at you. They are so much like us. They have friends, they have enemies, they love to play, they love to eat, they love to nap. They are incredible moms and incredible dads. So we're gonna pull this one out. Primatologist Tara Stowinski heads the Diane Fossey Gorilla Fund, a nonprofit research and conservation organization that grew out of Fossey's work. How many years did she live up here alone? She was in the forest for 18 years. Fossey was sent to Rwanda in 1967 by famed anthropologist Louis Leakey, who had also sent Jane Goodall to Tanzania to study chimps. The people in the region, they gave her a nickname, Niria Machabiri, which meant woman that lives alone in the forest. I'm sure they wondered, like, what was she doing up there? Strange woman Strange living up woman. in the Strange woman, very tall, she was six foot. This is actually from 1969. What she was doing, as Stowinski showed us, was observing gorillas for hours a day. What she would do each night is come back and type up all of her notes. There is some soft pig grunting heard from the silverback, and gas is released. <laughs> <laughs> and this just goes on and on and on. Fossey's research and her appearances in National Geographic helped change the perception of gorillas from aggressive King Kong brutes to the gentle vegetarian giants they actually are. But gorillas back then were under assault. Why were there poachers? Why were people interested? Well, at the time, people unfortunately wanted parts of gorillas as trophies. So they wanted a gorilla head for their mantelpiece or a, a gorilla hand. The gorilla's habitat was also being eaten away as thousands of acres of forest were cut down so farmers could plant cash crops up the mountainside. The demarcation line between farmland and forest stands out like a bad haircut, showing how little land gorillas have left. We cut down their homes. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, that's the story for wildlife around the world. But here, that story is getting a rewrite and the new version starts at Volcanoes National Park headquarters every morning, where tourists gather to trek to see gorillas, led by expert guides. They can live up to 45 years. The Rwandan government regulates the visits, no more than eight people per group for just one hour with the gorillas, with precautions taken to protect them from human illness. The price tag is steep, $1,500 per person, turning Rwanda, a country known for its horrific 1994 genocide, not so much for its beautiful scenery, into a prime destination for the wealthy. Some of the most luxurious hotels in the world have opened here, generating tens of millions in tourism revenue. Other countries have diamonds, oil, 
Would you say that gorillas are the most important natural resource of this whole country? Definitely. 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 Yeah, it's one of, if not the top source of foreign revenue, is tourism to see the gorillas. For the whole country? For the whole country. The government gives 10% of the money from those gorilla treks to districts that border national parks in a program called tourism revenue sharing. As you see, this is school behind. That was the before. Chief Park Warden Prosper Uengeli met us at a local primary school. Behind him was the old school. Behind me, look at the windows. New classrooms paid for by tourism revenue sharing funds. It costs fifteen hundred dollars yes. to go see the gorillas for yes. one hour. For one hour, special experience. <laughs> he admits it's a lot but says it's made a tremendous difference in his meetings with local leaders. We go there and we listen to what communities want the tourism revenue sharing to, to support. They decide. Yeah, they decide. This village built a health center. This one, new housing with water tanks and electricity. Here, a new marketplace. The 10% gives communities up to 650,000 US dollars a year. Good morning. Owen Gelly divides his time between greeting tourists, managing his rangers, and traveling around these villages, talking, cajoling, and celebrating what tourism revenue has achieved. A few years back, this community chose to get milking cows, which have since had calves, so the cows are now being given to new needy families. And those colorful striped sweaters? They're a product of tourism revenue sharing, too. One year, this community used its funds to buy knitting machines. A lot of the guides, porters, come from these communities. From these communities. And some of them are former poachers themselves. No. Yeah. Some of the porters and guides yeah. were poachers? Yeah. Or come from poacher families. So has all poaching of gorillas stopped? Yeah, in Rwanda, yes. Confidently, yes. But gorillas can still get caught in snares set for smaller animals, like antelopes. So the Fosse Fund dispatches a small army of trackers every morning, 365 days a year. We go out into the forest. We know every gorilla and all of the families that we monitor. We check and make sure every one of them is okay. If one looks ill, we'll notify the veterinarians. And we call this extreme conservation. It could also be called an extreme workout. Oh, boy. We set off on a gorilla trek with Stowinski, Uengeli, and a team of porters. Visiting mountain gorillas is no walk in the park. It's an uphill hike for more than an hour at an altitude of 8,000 feet through that farmland that once belonged to the gorillas. Can we stop here? Just to get to the park. Are you out of breath? Yes. <laughs> or is it just me? Then, just as we reach the park border... <gasps> oh, my goodness gracious. I can't believe it. A silverback, used to seeing tourists, sat calmly eating... He's right here. Look. Yeah, come, come. ...unfazed by our gawking and pointing. Uengeli told us he's an adult male named Lee Sanga. <laughs> Fosse Fund Country Director Felix Ndidijimana taught us how to signal that we come in peace. <laughs> oh, that's very good. Inside the park, after more climbing... Look, Leslie, look at... Leslie, look at... Oh, look at the baby. Oh, my goodness. 
we found the rest of Lisanga's group. It's far over there. Uwen Geli told us the dominant silverback was heading higher up the mountain, so the whole group was following, and so were we. In a sign of the population's health, this group has five infants and several juveniles. Oh my goodness, yeah. they're having That's a ball. Serious. They're having a ball. She told us they play for fun and to practice fighting. Or perhaps just to show us who's boss. <laughs> Near us in the forest, it sounded like a silverback photo shoot was going on. But Fossey Fund research assistant Nadia Neonize wasn't snapping ordinary pictures. She was using a technique called photogrammetry to get better measurements of gorilla size. There are four centimeters in between each. By beaming lasers onto the gorilla's body and head, which it doesn't feel. Oh, I see it. Back at the office, she uses the dots to make precise calculations of their size. Science remains the heart of the Fosse Fund's mission. They have the largest collection anywhere of gorilla skeletons, where scientists from around the world come to do research. Just sort of taking pieces out and pulling it like that. And a gorilla poop lab. You gather their poop? It's like a treasure trove of information for us. <laughs> to study stress hormones and do DNA and paternity testing. But Stowinski says they're running out of space. So they're constructing a new multi-building green campus with initial funding from Ellen DeGeneres. Set to open next year, it'll celebrate the progress made in saving mountain gorillas with plenty of space for researchers, exhibits for tourists and people from local communities, and views of the volcanoes. And you can see the mist. And it really rolls in. The building process itself reinforces the fund's motto helping people, saving gorillas. It's employing more than 1,500 local workers, more than 20% of them women. One exhibit on display here will teach visitors to speak like a gorilla. We can play Welcome it. Welcome to Gorilla Chat. You can hear. We're happy that you want to learn to speak like a gorilla. It plays gorilla vocalizations somewhat comparable to human ones. <laughs> Yes, gorillas laugh. Isn't that great? So the idea is that you have to try and mimic it. That's impossible. She gave me one she said was simple. So this is the pig grunt. What does it mean? It's kind of like a mild warning. The sort of human version is uh-uh-uh. You're on thin ice. You want to try it with me recording and see? Yeah. OK. Uh, 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 Stowinski wants school kids to come and be inspired to solve the next set of problems, increasing numbers of gorillas inhabiting a fixed amount of space. As the population has increased but the habitat hasn't, it is putting more pressure on the gorillas. And so the government is looking to try and expand the park so that there will be more space so that population can continue to grow. There are plans to expand the park by 23% and relocate communities to what the government calls model villages like this one, with electricity and brand new schools, trying to make park expansion another win-win for gorillas 
and their human neighbors. It's a success story. It is a success story, definitely, but we say it's a fragile success because there are so few of them left and there are still so many threats. But for now, the news is good. So far this year, 24 new baby gorillas have been born here. Wow, I mean, you can't have enough of telling those stories of gorillas when you look at the moms carrying the babies. Do you know that when you talk about gorillas, your face completely lights up? <laughs> I know about it. But much of the smile comes from what they are helping us to achieve. That's really the best way we can serve the next generation of kids. Gorillas. Oh my goodness. And, and, and people. Rita Moreno is best known as Anita in the movie West Side Story. The 1961 musical broke box office records and won 10 Oscars, including Best Picture and, for Moreno, Best Supporting Actress. Not too shabby for a kid from Puerto Rico who arrived in New York with nothing. She says her showbiz longevity is sprinkled with serendipity. But we warn you, beneath the gold plate of her Oscar, there's a dark Hollywood tale of pain and betrayal, reinvention and resilience. She's only the third actor to EGOT, winning the Emmy, Grammy, Oscar and Tony. And as Moreno approaches 90 with a new West Side Story coming out, we found an artist who is witty and candid. Ready if you are? Yes. You want me to slate myself? Yes, please. Right. Rita Moreno with one of the world's handsomest uh, men of color <laughs> ever. Okay, interview over. <laughs> We're done. <laughs> I can't do any better than that. Okay, I just want to ask you about the obvious all of your honors and awards. Ain't it grand? There's really a lot of stuff here. Because you've done a lot of stuff. Every one of them surprised the living daylights out of me. But it's not about the awards. Don't let that sound like I'm being modest. I am not modest. I know what I have earned. I'm up to my ass in some pretty spectacular acknowledgments. But that's not what a career is. A career is working. And Rita Moreno will be the first to say none of it came easy. What fueled that flawless swirl of violet as Anita in West Side Story was sheer willpower. I never stopped rehearsing. In fact, somebody told me recently that they were a dance extra on the Mambo at the gym scene. And one of the girls turned to her when we had 10 minutes off. And she says, look at Rita Moreno. She's still rehearsing. She says, that's what you have to do to become a star. But what is it about you to have achieved this? I think that perseverance is my middle name. It's just something truly that I think I inherited from my mom. In 1936, Moreno's mother, Rosa Maria, and wide-eyed five-year-old Rosita fled poverty in Puerto Rico to start a new life in New York. They landed in the Bronx. Or as we still call it, the Bronx. Here, she first encountered the sting of racism. I was being called words like spick. The trouble with that is that you grow up believing that you don't have any value. You grew up thinking you didn't have Oh, I value? grew up filled with self-loathing because I was a Puerto Rican. When you're little and you're told you're not worth anything, you believe it. 
she found sanctuary and her passion in a Spanish dance studio, and by 17, Moreno's dramatic looks and flair caught the eye of a talent scout who got her a meeting with none other than MGM studio chief Louis B. Mayer. And he said, young lady, how would you like to be under contract to MGM Studios? Just like that. Just like that. Without so much as a screen test, in 1950, Rita Moreno found herself making movies in Hollywood. I went to the commissary for the very first time. And that very day, in walks Elizabeth Taylor and Lana Turner. I thought I would have a heart attack. You, little Rosita, had arrived. And I really felt like one of them. But with the Hollywood glamour came studio obligations, publicity dates for paparazzi, and swank parties where the teenage starlet found herself fighting off insistent sexual harassment from powerful men. It wrenches my heart, mostly that I didn't know how to handle that kind of thing. Why would you be expected to? I mean, that's... Well, it was very common. A casting couch, where there were a million jokes about that. But Rita Moreno knew it was nothing to laugh about. I was raped by my agent when I was... I was either 16 or 17. I was sitting on the couch next to him. And he said, such a pretty girl. And he put his hand on my cheek and mounted me. I struggled, but he did it all. She told us she was the family's breadwinner and had to keep working. So the insecure Rita Moreno felt she had no choice but to keep her agent. Is this the source of the insecurity? Oh, is this at the bottom of all the insecurity? No question. Why are you comfortable speaking out? I want women to know that all the awards in the world will never make up for the things I have experienced in my life. The be-all and end-all is respect and self-respect, which took me a long time to earn. Hollywood can be hard on women, but for a woman of color in the 1950s, it could be corrosive. I'm right here. Moreno got roles as native girls in B-musicals, caked in brown makeup, all with a vaguely Spanish accent. That is true. Dusky maidens. Those were the types of roles you were getting. With the accent. It hurts me to watch it. Hmm. me doing stuff that is humiliating. You were working because of these roles. I accepted a lot of those because there was nothing else. And I took them with a lot of shame. What did I tell you, Lena? But she takes great pride in three scenes in an MGM blockbuster. Singing in the Rain, where I had a very tiny part. She played famous flapper Zelda Zanders, finally able to strut her stuff and show her true face. It was wonderful because I didn't need to put on that muddy brown makeup. I didn't have to speak with an accent. And I thought, that's going to change everything. Instead, she was dropped by MGM. She found work with other studios, and that smoldering passion to perform landed her like a bombshell on the cover of Life magazine in 1954. That picture won her a new studio contract and the attention of one of the greatest actors of an era. Marlon Brando. Marlon took one look and he just fell. He fell. For me. Yeah. I had a Fox contract. I met the love of my life. All was good. What could be bad? 
Marlon Brando takes up three chapters of Moreno's memoir and eight years of her life. Their stormy relationship nearly killed her. Brando was married when Moreno became pregnant with his child. She says he pressured her to have an abortion. Afterward, she attempted suicide. Why did you try to take your life? What I was really trying to do was kill that bad side of me that kept going back to him. That bad woman who didn't respect me, who was me, another side of me. Well, thank God you failed. You're not kidding. Six months later, in the fall of 1961, people around the world got to see her playing Anita in one of the greatest musical films of all time. I wanted that part so wow. badly. What was it about Anita that made oh. you want it so much? It was the part for a Hispanic girl. Puerto Rico, my heart's devotion. Anita, the one who had a sense of herself, mm. a sense of dignity. And I had to portray that, and it felt really good. Well, you talk about yourself like you're this bundle of insecurities and everything, but what you put on that screen was anything but. I could pretend I had self-respect. I'm an actress. I like to be in America. Okay, by me in America. Her performance was electrifying, and she says one of the hardest things she's ever done. I hadn't danced in years, and I didn't dance those kind of dances. That's called jazz. I never was that. I was a Spanish dancer, castanets. So when I went into West Side Story, I had my work cut out for me. Her most powerful scene required her to dig down into feelings she'd long tried to bury. When we did the rape scene during rehearsals, when they were mauling me and all that, the boys, I pushed them away and started to cry, and I could not stop. All of those scars that I thought were healed just opened up. I was like a wounded animal when I did it again. Is that on the screen? That is, yes. When she says, don't you touch me. Don't you touch me. And I thought, how would Marlon say that as an actor? And it was through my teeth. Don't you touch me. That is the scene that I know got me the Oscar. Rita Moreno in West Side Story. In 1962, Moreno became the first Latina to win an Academy Award for acting. I can't believe it! So your phone must have been ringing off the hook after no, that. No, the phone wasn't ringing off the hook. After West Side Story, I couldn't get a job except in gang movies. Lesser ones. Your career did not just take off. Hardly. So you took off. Yeah. She moved to New York and found new love and new roles on Broadway. She married a cardiologist, the late Lenny Gordon, and they had a daughter, Fernanda. It was here in the 70s, alongside Morgan Freeman, that Moreno won her first Grammy with the TV show The Electric Company. Then a Tony for her outrageous Broadway creation, Googie Gomez. And with the help of a green frog, an Emmy rounded out the EGOT. If all the puppets and slapstick give the impression Moreno had gone to the light side, look again. Oh, yeah. In the gritty HBO drama Oz in the 1990s, she played prison psychologist Sister Peter Marie. A different kind of nun. Different kind of nun. Stop it! Stop it! Stop it! It was a salvation of me as an actress, not a career.
Since Oz, Moreno has kept working straight into the 21st century. Movies, TV, a sitcom with legendary producer Norman Lear. She's been working nonstop for 75 years. And now this. In Steven Spielberg's version of West Side Story, Moreno plays Valentina, the widow of Doc who owned the candy store in the original. She's also an executive producer of the film being released December 10th. She's part of the ensemble. We talked with Steven Spielberg remotely. I wanted her to really, you know, you know bridge the legacy of West Side Story uh, and to inspire our, our young cast. And unlike the first movie, Spielberg set a mandate that all Puerto Rican characters be played by Hispanic actors. I think Hollywood has changed. Uh, I think there are still things yet to be addressed. The representation that Hispanics get is almost nil. There's so many talented people among Hispanics. Jennifer Lopez can't be the only one. That's why Moreno was thrilled to be part of this West Side Story. She sings, she sings, and she acts. And even though she doesn't have a dance number, I have home movies of Rita dancing with all the sharks and the jets. She has not lost her mojo as a dancer at all. Rita Moreno, who is about to turn 90, hasn't lost a step. She admits she has stumbled along the way, but she has refused to stay down. I think some people would say I was tough. I think it's resilience. Because if I'm tough, there's a part of me then that's become hard. It's simply not in my nature. But resilient. Resilient is what I am. Uh, I'm a real bouncer backer. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Next Sunday on 60 Minutes... A look inside the world of high fashion. Sharon Alfonsi heads to Rome to meet Alessandro Michele, the designer behind the beautiful strangeness that has become the Gucci brand. Some of the clothes really scream, right? <laughs> Sometimes. I don't feel like you could be a shy person and pull some of those looks off. I think that fashion is to let the people hear your voice. I'm Leslie Stahl. We'll be back next week with another edition of 60 Minutes. Listen to the 48 Hours podcast for shocking murder cases and compelling real-life dramas from one of television's most watched true crime shows. Go behind the scenes of each episode with award-winning CBS News correspondents and producers in Postmortem a weekly deep dive. Listen to 48 Hours wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. 
This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sant from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, early and ad-free on the 48 Hours Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts.